You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported. Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting remotely for WFHB, this is Cade Young. And I'm Sydney Foreman. This is the WFHB Local News for Monday, May 11th, 2020. Later in the program, WFHB correspondent Katrine Bruner discusses the impact that this pandemic has had on the local music community. In part two of Voices from the Music Community of Bloomington. Also coming up in the next half hour, I talk to Bloomington Mayor John Hamilton in our reoccurring segment, A Few Minutes with the Mayor. That's all coming up later in the program, but first, your local headlines. Indiana State Department of Health reports 32 new deaths from COVID-19. State Health Department reports 511 new positive cases as 6,667 new tests are issued. 16.8% of those tested for coronavirus came back positive. Meanwhile, as a part of Governor Eric Holcomb's effort to reopen Indiana's economy, restaurants are set to reopen at 50% capacity today. This includes most Indiana counties. However, Marion, Lake, and Cass counties are still delayed in their reopening measures due to a high volume of cases in these areas. Restaurant owners have their own choice whether they decide to reopen. Monroe County, including the city of Bloomington, has issued its own local lockdown through May 15th. The Monroe County Election Board discussed the June primary election during their May 7th meeting. Board member Carolyn Vanderweel explained primary election dates. Um, would remind everybody that voter registration for the primary ended on the 4th, so um, that will reopen after the election. But at this point, if you're not registered to vote, you won't be able to vote in the primary. Um, you can do it by uh, provisional ballot, but on the other hand, um, if you're not registered, it, it doesn't count. Um, Thursday, May 21st is the deadline for absentee ballot applications to be received. Um, they need to be in the mail that day. They need to be in the office by four o'clock, um, but we're still not, um, we're not promoting people to come down to the office. We want them to get them into the mail. They need to be uh, timestamped by 1159 if they are emailed in or done on the website. Um, and then of course, Tuesday, May 26th will be our first day for early voting. Uh, that will run through Monday, June the 1st at noon. And of course, June the 2nd is our new primary date, just so people have all of those dates in mind. Election staffer Sherry Moore said all Monroe County residents will receive an absentee ballot application in the mail. She encouraged all registered voters to vote by mail. Local Green Party Chair Emeritus Randy Paul spoke about Americans with Disabilities Act requirements for on-site voting. We have to check out other handicapped parking places that are closest to the building, including van accessible. So somebody in a van needs to have the space to be able to get their wheelchair out of the van. And oftentimes you see handicapped parking for individual cars, but not um, not for the van. Uh, the parking lot needs to be a smooth transition from the parking lot to the sidewalk using the ramps. The ramp in the parking lot surface needs to be free from any obstruction, cracks in the pavement, 
and no lips or no elevated construction or um, obstacles in front of the ramp to, to force somebody to have to, to jump over it. And that was a real issue of City Hall a few years ago where from the parking lot, I got my wheelchair jammed up in some of the breaks in the concrete and the cracks, and I could never get on the sidewalk to get into the building. So somebody may just look at it and say, yeah, it's got a ramp, but unless you inspect the ramp to see if there's any damage, it does somebody no good as far as accessibility. Paul said the ramp must be 36 inches wide. He said round door handles also present issues. The election board recessed their meeting until further notice. Attorney General Curtis Hill's law license was suspended for 30 days by the Indiana Supreme Court after it found he violated professional conduct rules stemming from allegations he groped four women at a downtown bar. Indiana Supreme Court suspended Hill from practicing law in Indiana for a month beginning May 18th. He could not take on any legal matters during his suspension. The court found that Hill committed battery against four women who accused him of inappropriately touching them. At the end of the session gathering of legislative staffers at AJ's Lounge in mid-March in 2018. Now it's time for your feature reports. Up first, WFHB correspondent Katrine Bruner discusses the impact that this pandemic has had on the local music community with private music teacher Dana L. Safar and violist and future Jacobs student Alice Ford. This is part two of Voices from the Music Community of Bloomington. For students who are homeschooled already or just students who have been taking private lessons regularly, they have also felt this disruption. These students will not be able to have that contact with their teachers anymore, and it may lead to loss of connection or even a loss of playing music at all, as some students will feel less motivated without that contact. Private music teacher and professional performer Dina Elsafar explained how students have been adapting and how she has been changing her own routine to accommodate the disruption of the virus. Elsafar has worked out of her own home studio giving private lessons since the early 2000s. She teaches primarily 6- to 18-year-olds as a violinist and violist herself. She said she was grateful for having previously taught a handful of commuting students through Skype and that she has experience with the online setting to use now. Many of her students reacted well to the shift in teaching online. However, she stated that some could not handle the idea and have not been doing lessons with her currently. Some of my students were like, yeah, see you on Zoom next week. Here we go. You know, just like almost no interruption at all. Then there were some people that were like so utterly like heartbroken that they just couldn't handle the idea of it. But then there's like this whole like subset of my students that I have like literally not seen at all. Like they either, I think it's just too many obstacles and they're just waiting until this is all over, I guess. Elsafar went on to explain how teaching through Zoom has actually allowed her to have more detail-oriented lessons, and it has suited her younger students very well, who still need to gain more knowledge of their instruments. A few of my students have responded, like, really well to Zoom. Now, that's not what I would say most of them are, like, a little disappointed, especially if, like, the system crashes or anything weird happens with glitchy stuff. Um, then you start to, like quickly lose heart, or I feel that from some students, but there's other students that just strangely seem to be doing better with this kind of, it's a more narrow focus, the way you teach on Zoom, it's much more detail-oriented, you know, like that's the kind of thing, like certain aspects of teaching are work maybe even better 
weirdly. I mean, a lot of things are lost, but certain things work even better. And so when it comes to just playing independently, like I've had shy students that like don't like to play alone and now they're getting more used to it because you have to. Elsafar recently had a large online meeting with the majority of the private music teachers of Bloomington to discuss what they were doing currently. As of now, all of the teachers have been using online platforms, either with private lessons or even group meetings and concerts, to continue contact with their students. As a teacher, Elsafar stated confidently that she felt pretty good about where things are now for teaching. However, she said that she hopes this isn't the new normal really good about what I'm able to offer and that if this is the new standard that I'm just in the running as much as any other music teacher but just something that I hate the thought of it being the new normal you know six weeks ago I was so sure it was gonna be terrible and I was wrong though like it's way better than I feared and uh, it's fascinating to think how how much things have changed in these past couple months. As a performer Elsafar reminisces about the days that she could travel and participate in gatherings and concerts. When discussing how music differs from other subjects to teach and learn, Elsafar exclaimed that not only musicians but also athletes are the main people that cannot transfer those skills online, the same as they could in person. For musicians and athletes, that's the main kids I'm thinking about right now. Or not just kids, but people. Like if you're in a soccer team or basketball or if you're in band or orchestra, like you just can't have the things that are supposed to be nurturing you. It's just not the same. Like this does not transfer to online. Elsafar reflected on the opportunities presented right now with music amidst the issues going on. She said that many people are connecting even more with music than before. Many people are choosing to value music in their lives more than they thought they would or that they had time to earlier. Like, you know, there's certain things that we find that bring us joy in, in this time. And, you know, part of it's like time consuming things, you know, like baking bread and or playing music. I've gotten some new students over this time period, including like an older couple that is like self-isolating and they're like, what are we going to do? And they, I guess, were like, let's learn an instrument. You know, so this is like what they're doing to stay sane. IU String Academy student and high school senior Alice Ford also reflected on the hardships of transferring her passion and hard work with music to an online setting these past few months. Ford has been with the String Academy for 13 years now, and this will be her last year. Through the academy, she has been taking studio classes and private lessons at IU, which have all now transferred to online. Ford is now finishing her high school year at Bloomington High School South, where she was also in orchestra class and playing with the Hoosier Youth Philharmonic. Ford said that she had mostly expected for school to be online after the coronavirus became more extreme, but she didn't know what the future was going to look like for her. Overall, she stated that as a senior, she was disappointed to not end her final year of high school as expected. The perspective we had at first, when they first called off school for a week, was very different than when they eventually called it off entirely. And I think when they first called it off, I had kind of expected it, but I wasn't sure if it would actually happen because, you know, we didn't know the severity of the outbreak that we do now. And so I, I was unsure if it would happen, but because other schools were starting to pull the trigger, I had a feeling it might happen. And then eventually, I think a few weeks later, when they announced that we wouldn't be going back for the entire year, at that point, I had almost expected it. I found it very unlikely that we would be able to return. But of yeah. course, I was disappointed, um, you know, especially with uh, 
graduation. Um, that is a big thing that, you know, I think all of us really look forward to as we've been, you know, in public school, you know, since we were five. And this is kind of, you know, the culmination of all of that before sending us on to the uh, rest of our adult lives. So I think that was primarily on my mind as a senior. Yeah. Ford said that there definitely has been a loss of opportunities and a feeling of community learning from her abrupt ending to orchestra class. Orchestra is really, a, even though there's so many kids in it, it's very tight knit and also very, it really has a community like feeling. And I think that, you know, I know many kids for whom orchestra is really the center of their uh, high school experience. And so for them, you know, my heart really goes out to them because you know, they're losing precious time with that right now. She also said that the shift to online setting has been especially hard for musicians who need one-to-one contact with their teacher or other musicians. I think for non-musicians, it's maybe harder to understand how difficult that is. I mean, of course, I think for everyone, it's difficult right now. I mean, no matter who you are, whether you're a musician or not. But, you know, as a musician, there are aspects of playing which are impossible to transmute through a screen. And I think the quality of sound, certain physical aspects, you know, are really difficult to get through a screen. And and while online lessons work, they're certainly not ideal. You know, I'm very fortunate that, you know, I've come to the end of my time in String Academy. And so right now, the work that I'm doing is really mostly to get me ready for college to move on to the next steps. But for a lot of other kids, this is a really formative time in their musical training. And for them, not having that one-to-one contact with their private teacher really makes the learning process more difficult. Ford made the decision to attend Jacobs in the upcoming fall semester, despite hesitancy from the pandemic and possibly beginning college online. On the topic of students at Jacobs, Ford explained that to those students, their final is usually in the format of a final recital, which many students will have to do online this year. And she said that as a culmination of studies as a music student, it's difficult for students to end their year that way. For um, music students, the big conclusion to your musical studies uh, is your recital. If you're an undergrad, it's your senior recital. If you're a master's student, it's your master's recital, so forth. And I know a lot of students for whom they haven't been able to give their recitals or they've had to give it online at their houses. With that, I think, you know, the recital really is the culmination of your studies as a music student. I think for a lot of kids, that's been really difficult, you know, and I, for those who are towards the end of their degree right now, I think that's a big question about how this will affect their year. And for those incoming, I think the big question is how will this affect our transition into music school, because that is a big flip from high school plus private lessons or, you know, what have you into the full conservatory experience. So I think that'll be interesting to see when we get into the fall. In terms of the students that have been preparing for music schools, Ford said that she is fortunate to live in a town and have already auditioned for Jacobs. However, many students did not have that opportunity. For me, you know, what I noticed was that a lot of auditionees from Asia generally were not able to come because of the outbreak, which really is heartbreaking, especially how, you know, you have one audition and, um, you know, you're going all these different places. And especially with a school like Jacobs, which is, you know, incredibly high level and very desirable to a lot of students around the world, not having that option at all, you know, is really difficult. 
Ford explained that with this topic, her opinion is just one side of the story. She said that there are a lot of kids being affected by this that aren't conservatory students, and that ultimately, for everyone, it is the loss of connection that all musicians are feeling right now in some way. I think that's what makes the whole situation so nerve-wracking for everyone is that, you know, unlike a natural disaster or something where there's a clear process of progressing, of cleaning up, of uh, returning back to, you know, normal state from here, we really don't have a clear answer of what the best password. And I think for all of us not having that anticipation or that clarity of what's next is really difficult, no matter who you are, you know, if you're a music student or not. Um, and this is just one side of that coin. So, you know, my heart really goes out to everyone battling with this in their own ways right now. But, you know, on a more personal level, I really can empathize with, um, you know, all my fellow seniors and people going off to college next year who really are entering this big unknown. For WFHB, I'm Katrine Bruner. Now it's time for a few minutes with the mayor. For more, we turn it over to WFHB Assistant News Director, Sydney Foreman. Community members posted questions on our social media via Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, posing questions to Bloomington Mayor John Hamilton about current issues. Today, on A Few Minutes with the Mayor, John Hamilton answers these questions. So all of our questions today are actually from one user. They listed a whole list of questions, and it is from the user S3V37. Um, so the first question they have here today is, how are homeless people in shelters staying protected amidst the public health crisis? First, um, thanks and shout out to the social service providers who have who continue to help give services, whether day services or, or sleeping accommodations from Wheeler Mission to Shalom, uh, Middleway House, and, and uh, others uh, that are that continue to provide those kinds of services. During the COVID pandemic, people have changed uh, how many people they allow into facilities. Uh, there's a lot of effort to give information and material from masks to uh, hand sanitizers and other things to help folks. And as you probably know, we've also actually opened up a couple new facilities as well. One that helps de-densify, I guess, kind of spread people out a little more for overnight sheltering. And that's been open for a couple of weeks and it's been used to, to help a friend's house, a friend's place, I think, expand. I know Wheeler Missions expanded their, their footprint, if you will, to help that. And then there's actually a separate facility opened up at a, a hotel that we locally have contracted with, with support from state money to provide a respite place or a quarantine place, an isolation place for any person who has been either symptomatic or diagnosed with uh, with COVID to have a place to isolate. And there's over 40 rooms available. We've actually used very few of them, which is wonderful news that we have not had to use them much to isolate medically folks, but we're ready to do that if need be. And I think it's the county health department that is giving out um, these care packages, right? And those include like a mask and hand sanitizer. Are these things going to the homeless community? And do you know how many that's kind of outreach to? Yes, the county health department is 
helping distribute actually in partnership with primarily homeless individuals themselves, people experiencing homeless who volunteered to be uh, agents, if you will, to reach out folks who experience homeless. And they've, I think, given out scores of packs, 60, 70, some more um, of these packages, which include masks and sanitizer and other uh, items that can be helpful. East Force is very active. Uh, our downtown resource officers and neighborhood specialists who are reaching out to folks, whether it's at Seminary Square or others, to try to encourage physical distancing, encourage uh, sanitary behavior, good hygiene, and making folks aware of what facilities there are to help uh, in case of need. Um, the next question here is, how do you feel about a potential statewide rent strike? Well, I'm very sympathetic to the fact that there are a lot of people who lost their jobs or told they can't work because of the pandemic and yet still have rent due. Uh, it's a complicated issue. It's uh, I think I'm in favor of trying to do all we can to help people make ends meet, uh, help the economy get through this. Uh, we, as you know, have a statewide ban on evictions for a period of time that runs uh, through the emergency. And, and I think that's a good thing because an eviction doesn't do anybody any good. Of course, some, sometimes needed, uh, but often evictions are a, a bad choice in what in what is a situation that needs some more creative responses. So I, I definitely am sensitive to the issue of what do you do if, if your income is gone, uh, but your expenses continue. And I hope as a community, we can continue to work with folks. We're going to continue to offer the loan programs that we do. We're going to continue to offer the social service safety net that we do. And I'd encourage anybody who's facing that kind of pressure to reach out uh, either to legal services or to uh, some of the social service agencies that can be helpful for that. Uh, I know that we have in our public housing will continue to support uh, thousands of people uh, who uh, get their housing through public housing. And that generally is based upon a percentage of your income. So that's a much better approach, I think, where we where we in public housing, simply if your income changes, we adjust the rent to reflect the changing of your income. And you had mentioned that eviction ban through the crisis. Does the city have a plan on navigating what will happen or what they will do once that eviction ban has been lifted? Well, we're, we're working on it and thinking about it. You know, the, the, the main point I would make is we really need to try to help the economy recover and, and uh, income to return. I certainly encourage anyone who's lost income to apply for unemployment insurance because if you're, uh, if you're eligible for that and the eligibility has been relaxed at the federal and state level, if you're eligible for that, you definitely ought to apply for it. Uh, also, of course, the, uh, the revenue supports that's coming from the $1,200 that some people can get to other amounts, um, certainly pursue all of those that you can. And we're going to be looking locally. How do we, what we call recovery? and stabilize and recover? How do we stabilize the economy and how do we recover? And that, in, that includes all of us as individuals. How do we stabilize our situation and recover? We'll continue to work on that. There's a, a work group that's focused on that uh, every day. Um, why are social distancing and safety rules so loosely enforced during this time of crisis? They're saying young people are still gathering in large groups, definitely over 25 people, and hosting parties in neighborhoods and throughout Bloomington without any repercussions. Well, I appreciate if people would report to us where they see problems, uh, and uh, I know I just did that over the weekend. I saw a gathering. It was 
graduation time and there were some gatherings of people and I reported it and I know that both the Indiana University Police and the Bloomington Police are responding and they're collaborating together when we see and are aware of large gatherings of people that are contrary to the instructions of the stay-at-home order which is to keep all gatherings below 10 people. Uh, That's important for everyone's safety. Uh, It's the rule in Monroe County so we do not want to see social gatherings of more than 10 and frankly uh, would encourage people to keep it smaller than that to protect for for safety. Physical distancing of six feet at least between uh, people who are not living together and sharing space. I'll say the enforcement on that is is complicated as you could imagine. We do not have arrest authority uh, right now. The public health officials have the power to enforce the public health orders and we are working very closely with them. And I want to say the vast majority of people are complying very well, and that's good. These are these are, these are instructions, uh, and, and they can be enforced through the courts, but it's a pretty cumbersome process. So I think what we find is that most people do want to comply. Sometimes they don't remember. Sometimes they don't know the rules. And so sharing that information is important. I do encourage the public, if you see things, uh, whether it's a, a business or an enterprise that you think is operating unsafely as a customer or as an employee, it's useful for us to hear that either to the health department directly, the county health department, or if you want to reach out to the office of the mayor, that's fine too. If you see gatherings that you think are unsafe or inappropriate, we appreciate those reports too. And the next one here then is, even as businesses start to reopen, some jobs will be lost forever. A lot of businesses might not reopen. And aside from the stimulus packages, is there anything being done to protect these suddenly lost jobs and their homes and the ability to feed themselves specifically, beside which programs already exist in Bloomington to help those who can't feed themselves and their families? Besides the federal government, yes, locally we've done very intentional work to offer short-term loans to businesses, both those that are related to tourism and restaurants and bars and and, uh, the hospitality industry, as well as other businesses not related to the hospitality industry. We're offering uh, very low-interest loans, uh, some grants to nonprofits and arts organizations and others uh, that we so care about in Bloomington. We want to come out of this on the other side with the vibrant community that we all know and love. Uh, And so we're offering millions of dollars of low interest loans. We're offering intensive technical assistance to folks to make sure they're taking advantage of all opportunities that they can. And frankly, just the basic focus of how do we restore the economy? We have to do it safely, protecting public safety. But it is true that the ability to get jobs uh, restarted, to get enterprises reopened, to get nonprofits active again and arts organizations is really important to the future of the community. So this stabilization and recovery group now is really focused on kind of the next nine months. How do we help organizations get back on their feet with financing? with technical assistance and partnerships. And there's a series of many seminars that are helping organizations figure out how they reopen safely. And so the last question here is um, just how is your family holding up with being diagnosed and losing a loved one and coping? And do you have any advice for people who might be facing similar situations? Well, thank you. We've gotten a lot of expressions of concern and support and love. And we so appreciate that from my family. We lost uh, my wife's mother, my mother-in-law a couple of weeks ago. 
know, we, my wife, as many people know, was in the hospital for 11 days. She's home now and getting better. And that's a, that's a great uh, gift to have for Mother's Day to have her back home. You know, this, I, I think the, the, the main point I would just make to people is remembering that everyone we lose is a, is somebody that a family treasured and will uh, mourn that this is a real pandemic that is taking thousands of people across our country and hundreds of people, more than a thousand people in our state and growing substantially. So doing the things that we ask you to do that our health experts know help by physical distancing, by wearing masks when you're out, by not doing non-essential trips, by continuing to use good personal hygiene and washing your hands and don't touch your face and trying to understand that you can be infectious even when you feel good and you can be standing next to somebody who feels fine and thinks they're okay, but they actually may be transmitting the virus. So we need to take all these steps to try to reduce the transmission because it is in reducing the transmission that we reduce all the families that face potential loss. We know people with disabilities, people of color are hit harder with this virus we've seen in the data. Our communities need to take care of each other, and that's what's so important. Do you have a question for Mayor John Hamilton? Comment that question on this coming week's post for a few minutes with the mayor to have your question answered. For WFHB, I'm Sydney Foreman. You've been listening to the WFHB Local News. Today's headlines were written by Cade Young and Sydney Foreman in partnership with CATS, Community Access Television Services. Our features were produced by Katrine Bruner and Sydney Foreman. Our theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and the Social Climbers. Our executive producer is Cade Young. For WFHB, I'm Sydney Foreman. And I'm Cade Young. Thanks for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered, listener-supported, independent local news program. You can hear tonight's full broadcast as well as other WFHB programming online at wfhb.org. You can be a part of our award-winning news team. For more information about joining our volunteer team of citizen journalists, email news at wfhb.org. Stay tuned for With Good Reason, coming up next on WFHB.